Welcome to the Black Mind Garden, where we are remapping minds so you can create a life you design. This podcast is all about planting new thought seeds, breaking generational cycles, and creating new legacies for ourselves and the generations beyond. Here, you will hear topics that empower your minds to go deeper, touching topics that most people may not think to think about. I am your host, Dr. Maisha Claiborne, a master hypnotherapist, coach, and trainer of neuro-linguistic programming and the founder of the Mind Remapping Academy. I am here to put you back in the driver's seat of your mind so that you can have the deepest experiences of joy, success, freedom, fulfillment, and peace of mind in all areas of your life. Now, let's get to the good stuff. But before we do, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you can stay in the know every time we release another mind remapping meal for you. Let's go. Hey, have you ever thought about learning NLP or hypnosis or even being a coach? Even if you simply learn the skills of coaching, it could come in handy everywhere and in every area of your life. Our Mind Remapping NLP Coach Training will give you mastery over language, helping you to improve your confidence, communication, coaching, and leadership. So if you're committed to removing unconscious blocks so you can consciously elevate your performance in every area of life, join our next training. Schedule and training interest call at remapmymind.today. That's remapmymind.today. Hi, hi. Good afternoon. For those of you who don't know who I am, Dr. Maisha, I'm the founder of the Mind Remapping Company. And um, I teach the tools of neuro-linguistic programming, conscious communication, and emotional intelligence. So, um, and uh, there's sometimes there are the things that I plan to talk about, and then there are the things that I end up talking about. And today is one of those weeks that you know, I had planned a different um, topic and uh, something happened this week that made me really want to share a little bit about normalizing emotion and why that's so important. And so um, I'll start by just sharing a little story uh, when this that happened this week with my son. Now, you all know if you, you, you've listened to me, you follow me, you know, I always um, talk a little bit about my experiences as a parent with my son and he's okay with me uh, sharing my lessons, the lessons that I learn and how he knows the work that I do. So I just want to lead with that. Um, so the other day, yesterday, actually, um, I got a text from a fellow parent and um, she shared with me that um, her son had come home and told him that Delson had expressed some big, big feelings to him and that he was concerned and he thought that he should tell his mom. And so, you know, I was first of all, very grateful, um, very grateful that number one, Delson felt, my, my son felt safe enough to tell someone that he was feeling. And he had some really big, big feelings of sadness, some really big, big feelings of loneliness. And he had some big thoughts um, about uh, himself that normally he doesn't have, you know, um, the not being good enough kind of thoughts. Right. And so, you know, it was, I felt first of all, you know, grateful that, 
my son felt safe enough to, and has a friend close enough that he could share that with. I then felt uh, very grateful that um, his friend felt safe enough that he could share it with his mom and had the awareness to share it with his mom and that his mom felt the push to share it with me. Now, why do I share this? Uh, you know, it, it's, it's because this chain of events could not have happened if my son hadn't expressed this and then it would not have led to the conversation that I had with him. And so what ultimately happened is, you know, I got to have this heart to heart with him about this big emotion that he was having of sadness and really, you know, with the type of understanding and compassion and open, like openness of listening to be able to hear him, um, normalize that these emotions happened and then get to the root of what it was that had him feeling the kinds of emotions that he was feeling, feeling like he wasn't, he wasn't a good, you know, he wasn't a good kid. And, you know, because he had made some mistakes around the house or he's made some mistakes at school. And so, you know, it took a moment for me to, to what, from the time that he told me, and then he said, well, he didn't want to talk about it. And I said, you know what, that's just fine for me to kind of get for myself. What is the conversation I want to have with my son that can empower him? What is it that I need to do so that he understands the nature of how these emotions comes up, that he understands a bit more about himself and that he gets that emotions are normal and natural things and that they're fleeting and that they're not facts, but they are valid. They are valid, right? And so um, the punchline of the story is, you know, we had this wonderful heart-to-heart -heart conversation and, um, and he was, it was an emotional conversation for us both. And he was able to, and by the way, my son is eight. Uh, he was able to share with me what were the things that had him feeling like he was feeling and thinking the way he was thinking about him not being a good kid. And he's an amazing kid, by the way. And, um, I was able to normalize the thoughts and normalize the emotions for him that had him feel much better and also let him know that, you know, everything that he feels, it's okay to feel. And that I was very glad that he felt safe enough to reach out to his friend. And I shared that I had big emotions like that when I was a kid. And that, you know, the difference between he and I is that I didn't have the resources. I didn't have um, the option of expressing myself in that way. I didn't come up in a time where that was acceptable and shared with him that, you know, the difference is you always, it is acceptable. It is always acceptable to me and whatever other resources you need to be able to talk to someone when you're having those kind of big feelings, I'm here and I'm, you know, we'll get those resources for you. So he got that communication, you know, we cuddled up, we laid down together, you know, cuddled them up before bedtime. And, um, he said, you know, that night that he felt better and what he, and his lesson, his learning from it, what he got from it was that, um, he had mixed up his behavior with and made it mean something about himself. Like he got that all on his own. I did not impose that lesson. He said, you know, I think I just mixed up that because I did this, that I'm not a good kid. And what I was able to give to him was 
you know, how many kids your age do these types of things, you know, like this is just stuff that happens when we're kids and even when we're adults. So why in the world did I share that whole story with you? It's because the whole nature of what happened couldn't have happened if I hadn't normal provided the space of emotions are normal. Emotions are things that we experience every day. We experience life and our brain makes meaning and then we experience these emotions. Um, we need to have a safe space to be able to express those things, right? And particularly in, in kids, also in adults as well, but particularly in children, I think that as, and as an ex-gen person who grew up with a boomer, a baby boomer mom, um, where the struggle was different for them and growing up to struggle, the experience of life was different for me, um, we can have a tendency to look at our kids, especially when we're providing them a life of abundance um, or even of sufficiency, right? And say, what do you have to worry about? Or say, you know, these emotions are not valid. Like we don't even have to say the emotions are not valid. We can indicate that in our nonverbal communication, right? This is, um, you know, I, I talked about in my earlier lives about the, that everything is communication. Words are only 7% of that. So we could be communicating non-verbally to our children that their emotions are not valid, that their feelings are not valid, that their thoughts are not valid. And so it's important that we begin to understand that everyone's, you know, our kids are dealing with things that we didn't have to deal with, like the shooting of schools, you know, in schools, the social media and the pressures and the cyberbullying that happens inside of, you know, social media and, and, and the social space, the technological social space, um, the gaming and the grooming that happens inside of that we don't even realize is happening inside of these online gaming communities or social communities. So these are the things that we didn't necessarily have to deal with as X-Gen um, growing up as in even some like older millennials, right? As, as the millennials are, were kind of growing, but growing up, they didn't have to deal with that as, as much of that, but our children are. And so to invalidate their experience is to invalidate their emotions about the experience. And when people, I'm going to say people, but, but I, I started out this conversation with children, but I'm going to say when people feel like their experience or their emotions don't count or don't matter when they have no place to go, then sometimes they take rash actions. Um, and I think that's, you know, we have to provide that outlet for them and um, step into their model of the world. And I talk about this a lot in my trainings, um, primarily the trainings that I do around conscious communication. There's a there's a portion of it where I talk about respecting one's model of the world. Well, one of the things that I think when we're talking a parent to child, there's a dynamic, there's a conversation, there's an inherited conversation about what should be the dynamic between parent and child from that standpoint. And where we can get into trouble is when we don't put ourselves in our kids' model of the world, in their shoes, in their eyes, seeing what they see, hearing what they hear and feeling the feelings they could be feeling given what's going on 
in the world today, right? Um, we only see it from our perspective and our view of how it was used to be for us and how it is for them now seems like it's not so bad. But then when you start to imagine a five, a six, a seven, an eight-year-old and what their experience of the world is and what their experience of you is telling them that their experience of the world is not valid. And I'm not saying that everyone is doing that, but I'm saying that's happening, right? Then we can see why anxiety rates, why depression rates, why suicide rates in young people go up because they don't have an outlet or a safe space to be able to, uh, to, be able to say their experience, to be able to say how they're really feeling. And when kids have the safe space to be able to say how their experience, we can then teach them how to navigate those emotions, teach them how to navigate the thoughts that come with those emotions. And we can mold and modify, you know, help them to emotionally regulate and behaviorally regulate when these emotions come up. So if we don't, you know, like if a child or, or a teenager is expressing anger in a way that is harmful to you or to, to someone else, then we can begin to, now ideally this is, this happens earlier in life, but I mean, wherever you start is wherever you start, right? Even as an adult, when we begin to emotional regulation, that's part of this emotional intelligence. But the first step in that is normalizing and naming, normalizing the emotion like, oh yeah, it would be normal to feel that in this circumstance, getting to the root of the emotion. Like what has you feel that way? What is it that you're experiencing that contributes to, to see if whether what they're experiencing is just one version, like what are, you know, one version of the story that they're making up in their mind about themselves or the situation, right? And that's not to say you go to a, a person and say, oh, you just made that up, but to like really look at what is the root of the emotion? Could it there be a different, you know, a different point of view? And when we start to do this with our kids, we start to enhance not only their um, ability to reframe situations so that it reframes their emotion, expands their capacity to critically think about what's happening inside of them or to notice what's happening inside of them. And when we are the safe spaces of, of acknowledgement of their emotion and validation of their experience, even if what they're experiencing is due to something that they decided in their mind or made up and is only part of the story, when we initially validate like, oh, I could see it, how it might occur that way, or, oh my, that doesn't feel good, right? Um, my, my son told me he was playing um, dodgeball and, and uh, well, no, it's a dodgeball. He's playing some game where he throws a ball into a square on a wall and it's, the ball kept coming back and hitting him in the head. And I just said, you know, like, to be honest, it, the way he was telling the story sounded actually very funny, but I, you know, kept my straight face and I said, man, that must have been really frustrating. And he was like, yeah, it was like the ball was trying to punish me for actually getting it in the square. And I had to miss on purpose in order to not get hit in the head. And, and you know, after a moment of him telling the story, and I can't remember where I read this, but it was in a book that talks about, you know, trauma and children. And I think this applies with adults as well, is that storytelling is very therapeutic. And the story, the telling of a story of something that happened that felt scary or, or traumatic uh, helps to process it in the body, helps the, ner the nervous system to process it. Even for grownups, right? Now I'm talking 
a lot about children and I'm relating to this story with my son, but even in grownups, I find that it's therapeutic in my clients and even in myself. And when I experience something that is emotionally intense or even traumatic to tell the story is very therapeutic to my body, helps my body process. And they say in kids, the more you allow them to tell the story, it allows them to process it. So, you know, I allow a lot of storytelling for my son, even if it's the same story um, over and over until he gets tired of telling it because then he's processed it. So I say all that to say, when we begin to, um, when our kids see us as safe spaces, they see us as, uh, and not just us as parents, but like grownups, you know, I would, I talk about this, you know, in schools, I asked him in school, you know, if he's feeling this way again in school, who, is there a grownup that he feels safe to, to tell or talk to? Right. And he says his teacher, which I'm grateful for. Right. And then is there, are there any school counselors that he might be able to talk to if, if he needed to, felt like he wanted to talk to someone else. And these are the resources now that I'm going to be looking out for. Right. We have to listen to our kids. We have to listen to our children, whether they're our biological children, our nieces, our nephews, our students, our friends, our colleagues, whatever they are. Right. We need to listen to our kids because, um, when we're not listening to, with, when we're only listening with our ears, we're not listening with our eyes. And I talked about that earlier this month, I believe, and, and a little bit later last month, you know, the ways that we expand our listening. When we're not expanded in our listening, we can miss things. We can miss very, very critical signs. And so um, I want to share a little story about how this applies in the grown up world. Because I was thinking about, you know, yes, this applies. And I love, you know, sharing these things as a parent. This is a very personal thing for me today. It's a very personal thing for me today. And then it's part of my focus and mission in my organ, in my business and my organization to empower children with this work as well. And so it's no accident that I'm experiencing it personally. This is how I feel. And then, you know, the work that I do on trauma to be able to recognize these things in the way that I do. But this work works in the grown-up world as well. So several years ago, many years ago in my former life, when I was still practicing clinically and when I was still practicing traditionally, meaning in a traditional practice, I worked with one of the bigger um, healthcare organizations and I worked as a contractor, which means that I filled in for other doctors. And I would often see patients who put on my schedule because another doctor who was overloaded had gotten very behind. And so one day this guy came in the room. He was a man. I was a male patient that I was seeing, um, middle-aged guy and, you know, bigger guy, hefty guy. And he came in and he was extremely upset. And I walk in the room and he was like sitting there and he puffed out and, as soon as I sat down, he started grumbling at me about how I've been waiting for two hours and, you know, I am so angry and this, this organization and every time I come here and he was just going at, coming at me, right? And you're not even my doctor and I never get to see my doctor and I see a different doctor every single time. And he was like, just like growling, right? And so I sat there and I remember once in medical school, um, that one of our professors told us that when we were learning about taking history, that um, the value of listening. And I think I shared this maybe in a, in a previous um, live stream that sometimes you can actually listen a problem away, 
And so uh, I sat there and I listened and I let him talk. And I probably, you know, it's a 15 minute visit, 20 minute visit. I probably let him talk for about what seemed like about five minutes. It may have been a little bit less time. And then eventually he stopped talking. And I said, wow, I know that is so frustrating. Like that would make me angry too, right? That's all I said. It was a validation of his experience. It was a stepping into his world. It was an acknowledgement of, of that, you know, he felt the way he felt. It wasn't like, a, I'm going to defend myself. It wasn't a, yeah, but it was just, you know what? That would frustrate me too. That would make me angry too. And after that, I saw the exhale, right? And instantly I became, for him in that moment, a safer space to be with. So the rest of the uh, conversation went super smooth. I was able to get everything he needed done in that visit. And by the end of the visit, we were laughing. You know, we were laughing and joking and he was completely different posture and energetic space. And at the end of the um, visit, he thanked me and he said to me, you know, I just want to thank you for listening to me and for hearing what I had to say. And I said, you know, but of course, that's what I do. And so I share that with you to share that validating emotion, normalizing emotion, um, acknowledging emotion, that really is a staple of emotional intelligence. And naming the emotion gives people space um, and it does further value, uh, validate them, their experience. And when you, people just want to be heard and acknowledged and appreciated. And when you can give that to a person, then they're going to open up and they'll be ready and willing to hear you as well for the most part. And so we can do this with our children and we can do this with our adult, uh, the, the adults in our lives as well. Um, and, and, you know, there are definitely expanded other components of emotional intelligence. This is just one, right? We, you know, the first is that emotional awareness and that's like even just being aware in our own bodies of the emotion, but like the awareness of a particular emotion in others, literacy, which is the naming part, right? And then there's emotional honesty and that's the courage to be able to share the emotions, right? Because when we you know, I came up in an era where it wasn't cool to share your emotions, not in my household, not outside of my household. And I'm of a culture where traditionally it's not cool to share your emotions, not in the household, not out of the household. And if we want to like break those inherited conversations and break, break those cycles, those unresourceful cycles and create a more emotionally intelligent future generation, then we got to start it with ourselves. We have to start with ourselves. So, and it does take courage. It takes courage for children. We have to remember that. It takes courage for adults as well because of the nature of how we're raised, especially us people who are ex-gens and olders, <laughs> older, I should say. So circling back to this space of my son, you know, the emotional um, awareness, like he was aware of his own sadness the emotional literacy. He was able to name the emotion that he was experiencing. The emotional honesty. He told a friend and then he was, he had the courage to tell a friend and to tell me, his mom. 
right? And then my job is to, you know, really, let's say, like, what's the root cause and to support him. And that's like this part of my own emotional development and intelligence and expanded awareness, right? So my own awareness of what he's saying in my listening, my acknowledgement and naming, the honest, the emotional honesty that I could share about how my, when I was a child, like he's not alone. When I was a child, I experienced the similar and same emotions and what's different and what's the same and how he's supported. And so this is one of the reasons why I feel that this kind of work should be in our educational systems. This kind of work should be taught to teachers and administrators because this is legacy work. This is the work, how, this is how we break the cycles. This is how we change the narrative for our children. Um, I could go on, but I think you get the message. <laughs> I think you get the message. So if you wanna know a little bit more about the work I do, you can um, reach out to me directly through any of my, you know, through any of my channels. If you're um, listening on the back end, thank you for listening on the back end. Share it with someone who you think this would be useful for, impactful for, or someone who could potentially use um, the training in their organization, be able to reach out to me as well. And if you're an organization and you want um, some workshops done, trauma-informed communication and um, emotional intelligence, reach out to me directly as well. I'll go to the website and schedule an inquiry call. All right. You all have a wonderful rest of the week. So, <laughs> all right, you all, y'all take care and I'll see you on the next one. Thanks for spending time with us on this episode. I hope you digested our food for thought and will put it into action and use these tools to nourish your life in some way this week. Remember to like and subscribe. And if you found this episode valuable, please pay it forward by sharing it with someone else. Also, I am clear that it's you, our listeners, who help us grow. So if you like this podcast, I'd love and appreciate if you tell us. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Finally, if you're interested in learning more about any of our mind remapping coaching, training, or workshops, or if you're interested in getting NLP, hypnosis, or timeline therapy certified, visit remapmymind.com. That's remapmymind.com and learn more about which programs might work for you and even schedule a discovery call with me today. Now go and have an amazing rest of your week and we'll see you on the next episode.